All right. Uh, we'll continue looking at what is so glorious about Christ. That's uh, kind of been what we're focusing on uh, because that's what Peter focused on at the end of 2 Peter. We're at this part where you give, uh, you know, all praise and glory, glory and honor to him. Uh, and, and so we're, we're looking at what is so glorious about Jesus. Uh, what is so wonderful about him. And so we've seen uh, just the titles that Peter used. We saw that he is Lord, uh, that both the Lord and our Lord. We saw that he is our Savior, saving us uh, from our sins. We looked at how Jesus, you know, we talk about Savior and uh, recognizing that we need a Savior and then that he saves us from our sins. And and now we've been looking at how he saves us uh, from our enemies. And that hope came from Luke chapter 1. So, it is no, it is no mere happenstance, you know, as we were getting close to Advent, I thought, you know, what are we going to do for sort of Advent, you know, themed messages leading up and, you know, where do you take a break in Peter to do that and to talk about the coming of Christ and all that? Well, by the sheer sovereignty of God, think about when we began first Peter uh, and here we are at the end of second Peter and we're looking at what is so glorious about Christ and we turn to all these Christmas passages. Uh, we see this promise. Uh, so when it was saves us from our sins, we looked at Matthew, you know, you'll call his name Jesus because he'll save us from our sins. And now when we're looking at him saving us from our enemies, we turn to Luke chapter one. Uh, and it's because this idea of what is so glorious about Jesus, something brought up all the way from Jesus' birth. So this is a perfect place to be during the Advent season, during the Christmas season, uh, as we've got our minds on the coming of Christ to see what is so great, what is so glorious, because this all fits together. Why are the angels praising the birth of this baby? Uh, and now we see, we've, we've seen why. So let's look at Luke chapter 1, uh, beginning, uh, beginning in verse uh, 68. Uh, and going through verse 71. Let me get it pulled up here in mine as well because my passage just decided to close on me. And someone took my Bible. I'm not naming names. Oh, here it is. Oh, there it is. It's already pulled up. All right, beginning in verse 68. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. Let's pray. Father, we come to you today and we are so thankful, Father, for what you have done And we give great glory to you that you have raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of our father, David, uh, God, to save us uh, from our enemies. And Father, as we look at how you do that and the great and marvelous way you do that in our lives, Father, may we cherish you. May we obey you. And Father, as we today, may we fight. May we fight in the name and through the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray and proclaim Jesus is Lord. Amen. All right, so that's what we've been looking at, that, that, that passage there in Luke 1 of him saving us from our enemies and from the hands of, of all who hate us. Uh, and we asked, you know, how does Jesus save us from our enemies? We looked at who our enemies were in the Bible, and we, see, we saw several things. We saw that uh, the fallen world is our enemy. We saw that Satan and his sort of horde, his host, are our enemies. And then we saw death 
itself. And, and then last week we looked at how when you ask the question, well, when, when is the Lord going to save us from those enemies? Because if those enemies are still a thing, when's the Lord going to take care of it? And we saw that biblically what the Lord says is that Jesus has already defeated our enemies. Jesus is reigning over our enemies right now, and he will utterly destroy our enemies forever uh, in the future. But that, that's really not the end of how the Bible talks about our victory over our enemies and the glorious work that Jesus does, not just for us, but in us. And that's what we're going to look at today as we look at uh, I'm in the Lord's army, and it's hard to not say that syncopated according to the song, right? I'm in the Lord's army. Uh, Yes, sir. Uh, Which is how I want to say it. We're going to look at uh, Jesus's victory through his people. Uh, I I used to love that song. uh, I'm in the Lord's army. I don't know if you did. Uh, We were singing it last night with the kids. Jack is already, he's tuned up. You start singing, I'm in the Lord's army. And he immediately gets his hand the whole time ready to salute so let's see if he'll do it. There we go. Uh, I'm in the Lord's army. Yes, sir. Uh, and so we were saying, I used to love this. I'm teaching the kids. I, I, I loved it. Uh, and that song actually has a pretty solid biblical frame to it that, that I'm in the Lord's army. I used to, I, I, I used to, I talked to Mr. Jackson. We've talked about this before. We talk about everything. Uh, he's got a lot of stuff to confess to me, and, and we go through that quite a bit. Uh, but we were, go, we were talking about like the battle of, I used to read about the battle of Armageddon, and I used to think, man, I'd really want to be one of those guys on like the horses, like, you know, charging into Armageddon with the sword. And I was always disappointed because the picture I had is I'd get on the horse and I'd start charging in some battle of Armageddon. And then what does Jesus do? He just opens his mouth and kills them all with the tongue of his mouth. And it's like, oh, well, great. Well, you know, ah, he beat them all again. Uh, and so there's always sort of this, this disappointment because, because I had thought that for the, the, for the Christian, and in many ways maybe just taught this anecdotally, uh, that the, the fighting uh, for the Christian is either all over or that it's all in the future. And so either that the fighting had all been done, Jesus done it, and so there's no fighting left, and we just are kind of sort of coasting in that victory of his, or that all the fighting is going to take place if you have more like a dispensational vision of the future where uh, after, you know, a thousand years sitting on horses and you're, you're with Jesus and at, in the Valley of Armageddon against probably Russia or China or maybe even both, I don't know, uh, that sort of idea. And so that's kind of what uh, I thought. But what I, what I didn't see is that when you read Scripture, we see that we're not just in a war then, either in the past or in the future, that as Christians, we're in a war now. That, that, that in many ways, that children's song, I'm in the Lord's army, I'm in it, had it better theology than I did about the Christian fight and the Christian's role uh, in the kingdom as warriors uh, sort of for the Lord, that Christ is, when we talk about Christ's victory, that his victory is also taking place in and through his people. That Jesus does save us from our enemies, and he does that by then putting us to battle against those very enemies. That it is by his sovereign choice that the means by which the gospel spreads is through the preaching of people like you and me. 
as we proclaim and live out the word of God. So Jesus' victory over enemies, look, his victory is something done solely by him. But it is a victory that he accomplishes through the cross and then through his crucified people. And so when we look at passages about the defeat of our enemies, we're going to see, we're going to see ourselves in a lot of those passages. And we're not just going to place ourselves in those passages. I'm not going to see, I'm not going to say, now read this and now, now imagine yourself in that place. We're not going to read ourselves into passages. We're going to read these passages about the battle and God's going to talk about us and our fighting and our war and our place presently, not just in the past and not just in the future, but now. Not just sort of as these spectators, but as participants, that we are genuinely in the Lord's army, which is important. That's important because that means in our battle against sin and against our enemies, which I don't think any of you would deny that you face, we cannot be lazy, that we must fight. So one of the ways the Lord is going to save us from our enemies that we'll see is by helping us to take up arms against those very enemies. The the Lord fights against our enemies and wins the victory against our enemies by causing us to to switch sides, to to change teams, to, to take up arms against that which was once our family but is now our foe. This is important because many of us, we want, we want our enemies defeated. And if I were to talk to you about the struggles in your life and things you're facing in your personal life or your marriage or your home or with your kids, we would all talk about how we want those things over. We want them defeated. We want the curse gone. We want good marriages. We want godly homes. We want to grow as Christians. But when we look at our lives, it looks like what we don't want is to fight. We just become sort of this totally passive in our Christian life and hope that the Lord somehow, as we are like bobbing through the river of our sanctification, that everything just works out. And if we want to fight, we don't want to fight the way the Bible tells us to fight. We want to fight the way we want to fight and just hope that the Lord uses that sort of broken stick of a sword to still win great victory. And then we get confused when we're fighting, when we're either not fighting or we're fighting the way we want instead of the way he wants. And then we wonder, well, why aren't I winning? Why am I still struggling against these enemies? Why am I still failing? Why am I not able to stand and to stand firm to the end? What's wrong with with me? So what does Jesus tell us about our fight in this Christian war? We're going to see that Jesus saves us from our enemies, but the Christian life is still a fight. So the first thing we're going to see is that the Bible tells us that even though Jesus has defeated our enemies, even though he has conquered them, the battle continues okay so we saw last week our enemies are defeated they're conquered but that he is victorious yet there is still a battle against these enemies now remember we saw last week that the bible has no problem with both of those things being true can talk about both of those things being true in the exact same passage saying that an enemy is conquered and yet that that enemy is still fighting against us, still, still raging to use the passage that we'll see in, in Revelation. 
So when we look at our defeated enemies, we still see conflict within us with those enemies. And one of the great places, I mean, if you look at, take, for example, the fallen world. Right? We say, what does Jesus say all the way back in John 16, uh, Take heart, I have overcome the world. We see our victory over the world through him. Uh, but, but what do we see, like, uh, for example, in Colossians? Colossians 2 and 3. I think it's a great place where we see this idea of, of, of vic- being victorious over our enemy through Christ. And yet us still fighting against that enemy also through Christ. So take, for example, Colossians 2.20. Colossians chapter 2, verse 20. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulation? So here in Colossians, uh, Paul is talking about one of the great gospel work that Jesus has done. And then one of the things that Jesus has done is he has made us die to the elemental things of this world. The basic, this is a word, remember, that Peter used uh, and liked to talk about these, these elementary parts, the building blocks of the world. He says, you, you've died to those things. That through Christ, Christ has killed your affinity, your affiliation, your affections, all to those things. So why do you act as if you're still alive to those things? Because you're not. Jesus has killed the world in you. He has overcome the world in you. He has transferred you from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of the sun. That's happened. But what does he say in Colossians 3, 3 through 5? This is just a couple of verses later. That, that Colossians 2, 20 is at the very end of Colossians 2. Here we get to the start of Colossians 3. It's not like Paul has lost his train of thought. It's not like a lot of stuff has happened in between 2 and 3, where he's like, never mind, forget what I said in 2. Uh, now, it's, so look what he says in Colossians 3, 3 through 5. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. This has happened. You have died to the world. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So Christ, who is your life currently, you've died to the things of the world. You're alive in Christ. When Christ, who is is your life, appears, you'll appear with him in glory. Until then, what do you do? Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you? So look at, look at what he said. You have died to the things of the world. Christ has killed those things in the world. Jesus has killed them in us. He has defeated that enemy in us. Yet we must still put that enemy to death in us. So, so this idea, this, so here we've got the fallen world defeated and yet we are still battling and killing it in us. Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, this great passage we'll look at today. And we'll actually look at it again next week when we see that Christmas is war. What a wonderful sort of holiday treat. I'm sure everyone's going to be real excited about. There'll be dragons. It's going to be great. Uh, To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For uh, For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Well, one of the things that this teaches us, not just how to battle our enemies, but what else does it teach you? Now, you've still got enemies. 
that Jesus defeated these enemies, we still have them trying to overcome us. But we are supposed to overcome them. And not just in the future, and he doesn't say take heart at the battle of Armageddon, you'll overcome them. Or don't take heart, in the end you're going to get to Revelation 19 and 20 and everything's going to be fine. Uh, We're supposed to do this in our lives now. So that's the fallen world. What about the enemy of death? We we talked about death. Uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, we know that death is still a problem, right? We're not like, hey, Jesus says, you know, that those who are in him uh, shall never die. And so we're like, good news, guys. You can cancel your burial plots. Uh, I've erased all of your eulogies, which some of you have several eulogies for, depending on how your life ends up. Uh, You know, we got all this sort sort of stuff, you know, we don't have to worry about it anymore. We know that death is still a problem. It's still a problem in the early church, problem for the people in Thessalonica, people in Thessalonica died. Christians died. Uh, so the, the enemy that Jesus defeated is still killing them. Uh, and so what does it say? First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. So we saw last week that Jesus said that he had disarmed death. That Jesus actually said that he had abolished death. In the cross, that's happened. Death has been abolished, yet believers still die. The hope, though, that that Paul gives the people in Thessalonians is that death for the believer, though, is not the end. But since death is still a reality, the Christians comfort one another with the promises of Jesus about his victory over death. So 1 Thessalonians 4.18 says, Therefore, encourage one another with these words. So death, still an enemy, but not an enemy that has, uh, that has defeated us. It is one that Christ has beaten, that he has abolished, but we still deal with. We're still battling. Even Satan. I mean, we talked about last. Jesus said that Satan is bound, that he's been plundered, that he's been beaten, yet he is still a problem for believers. And the Bible says we continue to fight against Satan and his horde. Ephesians 6, which you might as well keep your finger there because we're going to come back there later. Ephesians 6 verse 12 says we do not wrestle against flesh and blood but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. It does not say that, hey, you know, even the Lord has said that he's defeated these, that he has squashed them, that he has bound, and so the battle is over. It says that believers continue to wrestle against a defeated foe. So the battle continues. Now notice, we don't, one thing I want us to notice here, look, it doesn't say that we wrestle against our sin. I think that's what we tend to think. We're wrestling against our sin and our sin solely. This wrestling that we do, the battle that we do is not just an inward battle. This isn't just about you getting a a handle on yourself. You're in a war. We're taking part in in a war. A war where... Thank goodness, or thank the Lord, your king has won. Your job is to continue to advance the kingdom against enemies who will not go quietly into the night. 
And we saw this very thing about the devil. This is what we looked at last week when I said the Bible can say that someone is conquered and yet still causing trouble. Revelation chapter 12, verse 11 and 12. And they have conquered Satan by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testimony, for they love not their own lives even unto death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. So rejoice. The, the, Satan has been conquered, uh, but woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath because he knows that his time is short. So Satan, the devil, has been conquered and yet is still raging. But he's raging. He's raging not because he really wasn't beaten. He's raging because he knows that he was. Now, people, people like to ask, you know, why do snakes keep moving even after you cut their head off? And, and, and I say, well, because Satan rages even after his head has been crushed. Uh, and that makes people go, I, I really want to be a part of your science class. Like, <laughs> like, why do snakes wiggle when they die? And you can talk about nerves. And I say, no, because Satan still, still thrashes about when his head has been crushed. And they're like, that's intense. Uh, I, don't, I don't know that's in my science textbook. It doesn't matter. Um, but what does, what does Romans 8 say? Romans 8, 38 and 39. For I'm sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's in assuring believers that these things can't separate us from Jesus. But what does that assume? It assumes that they're still trying to. This is the battle is still going on. It still continues. It says, look, these things are not going to be able to separate you. You don't have to do that if those things aren't worrying you that they are going to separate you. If these things are not a problem, not an issue, like if it were 80 degrees and sunny outside, we wouldn't get on, I wouldn't be sending out text messages this morning saying, hey, be safe on the roads out there. And they'd be like, why? Is the pavement too hot? The only reason it's saying do not fear these things is because these things are trying to separate us from uh, the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So, so even though, like we saw last week, that our enemies have been defeated and that Christ is sitting on his throne right now, we are still in a battle. And Christians, we have got to realize that. Uh, so what do we do? We, the battle continues. What do we do in the meantime as this battle is going on? Well, we go to war. And so the next thing we're going to see about Jesus' fight in us to defeat our enemies is that Christians are warriors. Christians are warriors. We saw that the battle continues. The question then is, what is our place in that battle? Well, as Christians, we're not simply spectators in this grand battle. The Bible talks to us as combatants. And so in the battle against sin and evil, the Bible tells Christians to fight. And the truth is, a Christian cannot sit idly by in this war. God has placed in our hearts a love for him and a hatred for sin that will not allow us to be passive in the fight against the enemies of God. It just cannot happen. And so when the Bible talks to the Christian about their life, it talks to us as warriors. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 18. This charge I entrust you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them... You may wage the good warfare. 
We saw that the battle continues for us as believers. Well, our job is not just to be in the war. That, that's a given. That's going to happen. There's no way to avoid the war. You can't sit on the sideline. You can't, there's no dodging this draft, right? The question isn't whether or not you're in the war. The question is whether or not you're waging a good war. Our job is to wage war and to do it the right way. You're in the war. And you can't just get out of it by pretending that it's not an important war to you or by not fighting. You're just, you're just waging a bad war. And the effects and consequences of that are probably sweeping over your life. It's like all those movies. You, I love war movies. And in all of them, when the bad guy comes, you've got these people who are trying to not be a part of it. And the bad guy's like, I don't care. And what happens? They're like, we're not a part of this war. And he's like, I'm still going to kill you and your family. And we try to not fight. the war. We think if we pretend like we're not in the war, or if we just ignore the war, that it's going to pass us by. And, and we, we just end up looking like our lives look like scorched earth. Our homes, our families, our personal lives. And we're like, but I didn't take part in the war. And Satan didn't care. You just didn't wage the war well. But it doesn't, the Bible doesn't say, you know, that, that Satan hates those who, are, who have been chosen by Christ, but only those who are really committed and chosen by Christ. If you are in the family of the Lord, he hates your life. Because your life is a picture of his defeat, even if you're waging it badly. Not every American troop is in the 101st Airborne. But all of our enemies will take shots at every single one of them. So the Bible talks as if we're in a war. Later on in, in 1 Timothy 6, just a few chapters down, Paul describes it like this. Verses 11 and 12, he says, But as for you, O man of God, flee these things, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. What does he say in verse 12? Fight the good fight of the faith. So our Lord has won the victory. Paul has made that very clear. But we still fight. In Jude verse 3, it says, Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith. That's the same word as fight back in 1 Timothy chapter 6. It just has the word epi, which means on in front of it. But same word, same root. To, to, to fight for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Notice that we fight not just in faith, we fight for faith. We fight to defend the gospel. And that can only happen in faith. But in faith, we fight for the faith. And the whole of the Christian life is a fight. So by the time Paul, I mean, if we're just, I just wanted to show the segue of Paul's thought in Timothy. 1 Timothy 1, wage is good warfare. 1 Timothy 6, fight the good fight. Then you get to 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 4. What is Paul saying? He says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Paul's life about to be over. And what does he rejoice in? He rejoices that he has fought the good fight. Everyone in this world is fighting. Everyone is fighting for something. They're waging some kind of war. You're working for some kingdom. The the question isn't, are you fighting? The question is, are you fighting the good fight? I mean, every husband that poorly treats his wife is trying to build a kingdom, just a kingdom in his name. 
instead of laying down his life for his wife because he wants to build the kingdom for Christ's name. Every husband that doesn't lead, lead his home in godliness and instead spends all their time doing all these other activities, not that he's not fighting. We don't just say, hey, fight. He's just fighting for the wrong thing. He wants to be a dad who, who is involved in these activities or who does this or does that. And he looks at his kids and, and they're dying from the choices he's made. But instead of fixing those, he continues to fight for what he wants. His children, his home would ever be damned because he's fighting for something. He's just not fighting the good fight of faith. You look at your own life and the choices you make, the sins you decide to take part in. It's not because you're not fighting. It's because you are fighting against the good. Because you know what you should do and you choose not to do it. So the question, again, isn't are you fighting, but are you fighting the good fight? As Christians, we're not just these passive spectators of the kingdom of Christ. We are warriors. We are fighters. We are waging war. We are fighting for the faith. These are all the phrases that Scripture uses. We need to see ourselves and our lives in that warfare mentality. Christians should all be hawks. And the question then comes, but isn't that a problem with Jesus' victory, right? Isn't that, isn't that the problem? And the answer is no, because we've already seen that the, when the Bible doesn't have a problem with our enemies still waging. In fact, this actually fits with what Jesus himself, Jesus himself says about his victory in us. That, that as Jesus' kingdom continues to spread... And we're the means through which his enemies will continue to be defeated. After Jesus has been given authority over all things, what does he do? After Jesus has been given all authority on heaven and earth, what does he do? He then gives his troops their marching orders in the Great Commission. And he sits down and they get to work. Because it's like, how is Jesus defeating his enemies if he's sitting at the right hand of the Father? He's defeating his enemies through his people. Through the preaching of the word of God, through his people preaching, proclaiming, living the word, that is how Jesus is defeating his enemies. How am I only that far through this sermon? That just makes no sense. Does anybody have lunch plans? I was telling Zachary with the snow, I was like, it's, the snow's going to ruin my Christmas plans for sermons. And the Lord was like, no, you're going to ruin it by just talking a lot about these verses. Uh, well, it is, it is 1150, and we're about to jump into Ephesians chapter 6, and we'll be there for the next five pages. So we're going to stop right there. Because what have we seen? And, and this, is, this is a decent place to stop. This is no reason to rush through God's word. This is a great thing about preaching expositorily through anything. We've already been looking at scripture. I don't have to look and go, you know what? I spent a lot of time telling my story and I didn't get to any Bible text. Let's throw that down really fast. Uh, we've already gone through six, seven, eight, nine Bible passages teaching us what? That we are at war. Next week. Next week, we will see how to defend. And then the week after that, we'll see how to fight. But Christian, you are in a war. Let's realize that first off, 
We are in a fight. We are warriors. We must be waging the good warfare. We must be fighting the good fight next week in Ephesians chapter 6. We'll see how we prepare for that fight. And then the week after that, we'll see how we take place in it. Uh, But right now, let's go ahead and bow our heads uh, and let's let's pray and ask that the Lord would show us uh, that we are indeed in this fight uh, and that he would encourage us to be faithful warriors for the Lord. So just take a moment and what I want you to do is to look at your life and ask, are there any areas in your life that you have not been fighting a good fight? Any areas where you see maybe Satan raging against you? Raging against your home. You're trying to build a godly home. You know who's going to hate that? Satan, his minions, the fallen world, all of them. They're going to hate that. Your enemies will hate that. You want to raise godly kids, your enemies are going to hate that. And though they've been defeated by Christ, they are still raging. They are still hating. And they're, they're not just going to give you a pass for proclaiming their defeat. Do you know who the the last people take pot shots at? The ones waving the banners of their victor. And when you're carrying around and trying to make your home a flag for the glory of Christ, a beacon, this is his kingdom. See the glory of Christ in our changed lives, in our hope, in our happiness, in our joy, in our suffering. See it all. See Christ here. That's where the battle comes. But you're in a war. Is there, look at your kids. Are you being passive in, in how you fight for your home? Look, we can even be actively passive, right? Men, we can be guilty of finding a lot of reasons not to be involved in our kids' lives. We can come up with reasons like sports or work or things I got to get done around the house, all sorts of things for us to be passive, actually passive in our kids' lives while being very active physically. It is easy for us to do that. Ladies, it can be easy for you to be actively passive in the home. To give yourselves responsibilities and activities and and think, oh, I've got to do this and I've got to do that. And then I'll get to the kids or to think, well, my husband, you know, maybe it'll just be him who does it. And you can you can spend your time either choosing something that takes you out of the home. You've got all these reasons for why you need to be out of the home. Or something that takes you out of the home, maybe not physically, but mentally through things like Facebook, social media, whatever. And so we can be, we can be very active, not being lazy, and yet not fighting the good fight. I mean, look at, look at the same thing for your marriages. We can be very active. In our homes, we can be together all the time, but that doesn't mean we're fighting a good fight in our homes. It's not just being together. 
It's pursuing the Lord together. It's not, I mean, Christian victory in the home isn't just, hey, we ended up being married 60 years. Praise the Lord. And we must have built a godly home because we didn't leave. There are plenty of people who have no God in their home who've been married 65 and 70 years without a lick of God. So being there ain't winning. Showing up and not walking out isn't the epitome of Christian victory. You must fight a good fight in the home. You must labor to make the Lord's name and not yours the most important name in that home. Because when there are fights in the home, it normally centers around, I want my name to be great. No, I want my name to be great. And normally, if just one of us would say, I want Jesus' name to be great, the fight normally tends to die down a little bit. But when we're both pursuing ourselves, we're fighting We're not fighting a good fight. We're present, but we're not bringing glory to the Lord. And there's plenty of areas that we could look at. If there's any area of your Christian life that you look at and say, you know what? I'm I'm in a war here and I'm not fighting it well. Go to the Lord right now. Take this time and go to the Lord and say, God, my strength, as I've seen, comes only through your son, Jesus Christ. It is only in faith that I can fight this fight well. And it is only through faith that I can fight this fight well. We'll see next week that the first step in fighting any fight for the Lord is absolute humility. And sometimes the way we get humility is the Lord just humbles us. He humiliates us. Because we've been trying for something and we feel like we're doing great and it just all goes to shambles and we go, why? And he shows us because you've been doing it for your name and not mine. And he'll humiliate us in order to build us back up the right way. The worst thing he could do in our homes if we've been building it on our names is to let us just keep building on it. The greatest kindness he can do is to knock it all down and cause us to build on the foundation of Jesus Christ alone. Someone's going to come to your house. Someone's going to want to knock it down. It is only when our lives have been built on Christ that it will stand. So let us realize we are fighting a fight. We're fighting a war. Let us fight it well. The battle continues We are warriors. Praise the Lord, we're warriors. If it weren't for him, we would just be dead bodies. Praise the Lord that you want to fight. Praise the Lord that you can fight. And then praise the Lord and get to fighting. Let's pray. Father, we come to you today, God, with so many different areas. It's I bet if you were to search our minds, Lord, as you have done and pulled thoughts from deep recesses of our hearts and convicted us of of things we may not even have been expecting to be convicted of, Father, or or showing us uh, areas that we need to improve or whatever, Father, as you have dug deep in the secret thoughts of our hearts and through your spirit laid them bare, God. I bet today that we are, we are shocked and amazed, but how glorious, Father. How glorious that when you show us these wars, these fights, these battles, 
that we can rest that you have won the victory for us and then that you have given us the ability to fight and to fight well and that as we've seen your kingdom your kingdom will be victorious father and so i pray that we would fight for your glory in our homes, that we would fight for your glory uh, in the lives of our children. We'd fight for your glory in, in our lives as church members, as friends, as people in begs, as, as your people who are, who are a part of a world that, that belongs to you, that we, would, that we would fight in a faithful way. And so, Father, I pray today that as we see the continued battle, that, God, we would wage a good war, that we would fight a good fight, that we would bring glory to your name and see the great joy that you bring when your people will do that. Even joy through suffering, Father. Because your kingdom is that glorious And no enemy of ours can take you or take us from your love. And ultimately, from the outcome of our calling and salvation, which is our glorification. Nothing can steal that. And so, Father, we fight and we're going to fight with confidence. We're going to fight with surety. But God, help us today to just open our eyes and even to see the war. Some of us have been closing our eyes, we're sticking our heads in the sand like ostriches, hoping that it'll just all sort of pass by and end up okay. And, and God, I, I pray that you would pry our eyes open and help us to see the fetid, rotten flesh of anything in our lives that we might cut it out for your glory uh, and, and live in every area, fight in every area to make it bring the most praise to you that it can bring. God, we're not just trying to get by that we're trying to glorify you. So, Father, help us to do that. Help us to to not just see every area. I know in my own life, I'm sure in the life of others, I know how often you show us the area. We'll feel bad about the area. We'll know what we should do, and yet we do nothing. So help us, help us to fight the good fight. Help us to not just see the war, but be in it uh, and and to fight in it in a way that, that brings you glory. Whatever you expose to us. May we be willing to slay it for your name. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.